Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right, another week, and it is one of my favorite times of year. It is Dallas week as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 119. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films to discuss our thoughts on the Eagles coming out of the bye week where every other team in the NFC East lost. With no game of our own to break down, Greg and I will look at the Dallas Cowboys and their loss against Atlanta and then take your questions on this Eagles team and the big matchup on Sunday Night Football. This week on Scouting Report, I want to look at a player that has really turned into a key piece in that Dallas secondary and could become a fixture for that team for years to come. But before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. Greg Cosell and I take your questions and break down those Dallas Cowboys. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, I make this joke every year. How was your bye week? Was there a bye week? <laughs> I didn't know that. Obviously, I know for you it's not yeah. the bye week. Eagles, <laughs> Eagles fans listening, uh, all coming off of the, the listless weekend where the Eagles gained a, gained a, uh, more ground on everybody in the I NFC wasn't East. unhappy to see Atlanta beat Dallas, no, were you? No, I don't think anybody was in the, in the Delaware. Right, Valley, right, sure. right. Uh, except for some of those local Cowboy fans, which are just tough to understand. But uh, let's let's get into that Dallas game real quick and just that Dallas Cowboys offense. Wait, I, what, since we don't have a game to break down from sure. the Eagles' side, I solicited for questions, and we're going to get to those after. But I figured let's start by talking about this Dallas team on both sides of the ball. Obviously, offensively, it's their first outing without Ezekiel Elliott. He's serving his suspension now. This was his first game. Everybody was anxious to see what this offense was going to look like, and it was not good. No, and it was not good in an odd way. Uh, number one, they did not really commit to running the ball, which kind of surprised me. I thought that their basic philosophical approach would stay the same, Fran. It did not. But what was really interesting to me watching the tape, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, was their O-line was handled in this game and looked overmatched at times. And I'm not just talking about the left tackle and pass protection. That story has been played over and over uh, today, Monday night, as we speak. But they looked, the entire offense looked slow and at times plotting relative to the Falcons' defense. And that was very, very surprising. The tape clearly showed that. Yeah, and watching everybody, you know, like you said, the, the story of Chaz Green and even Byron Bell uh, has been told. But it's not like everybody's kind of crushing Jason Garrett. Like, oh, how could you not give him help? Well, they did give him help. They gave by him the way. a good amount of help. They did give him a good amount of they, help. They tried. They I tried know. their best to do what they could, and uh, sometimes it just wasn't enough. No, and and him. again, they didn't give him help on every single play, and he was beaten the times they did not give him help. But they gave him a decent amount of help throughout the game. Yeah, no, without question. So. What does their non-committal to the run game? What does that kind of tell you? Does that tell you anything? I, sh- I should say moving forward. Well, look, you know that this will be a hard, intense week of practice for the Cowboys. I would have to think that they'll recommit to what they essentially do best, and that's run the ball. Now we know Elliott's out, but they started the third quarter against Atlanta, going back to their foundation, which is running the ball. 
and they had three Morris runs. If I'm not mistaken, all three came out of base personnel. Yeah. And, and to Two of them, fair, I believe, came out of 13 personnel with three tight ends yes, on the field. They did. They and did. it was 14 yards, 20 yards, and 11 yards. I now think the third one was out of 22. So I think it was it a might have been. 13s yes, and 22. You might yeah. be right. But it was all base. Yep. Now, we know that the Eagles have the best run defense by the numbers in the league. And, and I think that's on merit. It's very, very good. But I think the Cowboys have to attempt to run the football. Now, the other thing is the Eagles have defended the fewest runs by far of any team in the league for obvious reasons. They've been ahead in a lot of games in the third and fourth quarter, and teams are not running the football. Yeah. But I think we both like Dak Prescott as a quarterback. I'm just not sure that the way they've structured and built this offense since he's been the starter last year has been to drop back and throw the ball 40, 45 times a game. No question. And I'm not sure at this point that their receivers are quite good enough to do that. Yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty valid point as well. Yeah, I mean, you have Des Bryant, who obviously who, is one of the best in the league, but not— I don't know if he— He's not—I he, I want to throw a receiver in there. He's not no, Julio Jones. He's no. not what A.J. Green is, but I think he is in that, that category can be. of receiver I think he can, can be, win and it, has, it hasn't been this year for whatever reason— um, and that's hard. I know when I watch tape, and I've seen every Cowboys game on tape this year, I watch tape and try to figure it out, and I'm not sure, to be honest with you, what the reason is, but he's certainly not putting up the numbers. The targets, his catch percentage as a ratio of targets is very low for a quote-unquote number one receiver. They feed it to him, and they certainly yeah. tried to early in this game as yes, well. Yes, yes. The one thing that I think makes him and Prescott such a good pairing is that you know, I, I think back to, to Dak when he was at Mississippi State, and one of his best throws, like one of the, the best routes that he threw, was the back shoulder. And yes. he threw a good fade as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think back to him and Duranya Wilson. Uh, oh, and yes, All the yes. big plays that they made uh, at every level of the field. Yeah. And that, I, to me, like I think him and Dez kind of have that same connection. And down in the red zone, uh, he's I want to say he's third in the league with 14 red zone targets. He's caught seven passes for you know 144 yards and four touchdowns, which is, I think, top five in the league. So, uh, you know, down in the red zone, he is certainly something to contend right. with. Uh, and him and that now they have to be able to move the ball and get right. down to the red zone, which was obviously an issue this week against Atlanta. Uh, but overall... I guess when you look at Dak, you have to list his top traits because that's one of the other th- big topics for this week as well. Is you know what does their offense look like without Zeke, and then you have the whole dynamic of Carson Wentz versus Dak Prescott. For Eagles fans that maybe haven't watched a ton of Dak, right? What are some of the traits that really kind of make him who he is as an NFL quarterback? Well, I think he's very poised. He's very composed. He's a careful passer. He's not a risk taker. He's a very good between-the-numbers thrower. He throws in-breaking routes extremely well. He throws those with excellent velocity and excellent, excellent accuracy. Uh, I think he can throw the ball to the outside, but I don't think he's quite as good throwing to the outside, although you mentioned fades. That's a, That's different, a different kind, kind of, of throw. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, I don't think he's quite as good throwing it to the outside as he is throwing it in the middle of the field. Um, he obviously has the ability to make plays outside of structure. He's very strong in the pocket. He can shed tacklers. You know, in some ways, he has a little of that Ben Roethlisberger in him with his ability to shed pass rushers. We've seen him do that. We saw him do it against Aaron Donald. We saw him do it this week against Atlanta. I he forget. was sacked eight times this week. It could have been 12. Easily. 
He could have been 12. He yeah. was under fire, and he I, you know, yeah. he responded as best he could. Exactly. So, you know, I, I think – I think it's always easy to make judgments about what you think a guy isn't, but that's hard for me to do just because he's not asked to do that. It's easy to say he's the function of a system that starts with the run game. That's easy to say, and it's true he is, but I don't think that that automatically means that he's not a really good quarterback. You know, it gets into the conversation you've had about like guys like Alex Smith for however right. long. Well, he's more talented than right. Alex Smith. But you know what I mean in terms right. of like right. what he is in the NFL. right. Is he a system quarterback? Is he a product of the situation? Uh, you know, I, but I I do think that this six game sample they've got a, a pretty rough stretch coming up. Yes, uh, I think that will be a little bit telling in terms of it, where he kind of is at this moment. Right? I, I would say that's fair, um, and I would for the most part expect him to play pretty well. Look, they had a really bad game against Atlanta. The the entire offense did, starting with not just Chaz Green at left tackle, but the entire O line had a bad performance. And, of course, then that reflects on, on Dak as well. Um, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see how they choose to go about playing offense. As I said, I was a bit surprised philosophically that they did not commit more to the run. Yeah, it's going to be a, a really interesting matchup just from that standpoint. Uh, you know, looking at this Eagles defensive line, fresh, coming off the bye. Tim Jernigan gets his new contract. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of juiced up coming off the week of rest. It'll be very interesting just to see. That matchup because obviously this Dallas O line with Tyron Smith in there is one of the is best. Is he due to play this week? He was questionable in this game, so I got to think that he's going right. to be. At it's least a back, and he's had a back for a while. And that's an issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, backs can always flare. Up. But the other thing we'd say, look, if this, if if the the storyline was reversed, Fran, and it was the Eagles coming off a bad game, yep. you would say, oh, they are going to be ready to play. I'm really excited about no it. No question. So yeah, you have to be. You know, look. The Eagles are a really good team, no matter what happens Sunday night. But the Cowboys are obviously going to have a big week of practice. They will be ready to play in their home stadium in this game. And they will play far better than they did against Atlanta. And we will talk about this offense a little bit uh, down the road in this show because I think a lot of some of these questions will kind of reference back to this, week, this week's matchup against Dallas. Quickly, before we get to the fan questions, uh, the, the Dallas defense, I think – you know, people kind of move past a little bit. I think one of the big factors, honestly, though, uh, of losing Ezekiel Elliott and losing that ball control element of your offense is that defense now is going to be on the field a little bit more. Right. That being said, the pass rush is pretty legit. They it's, do they, they do a really good job up front, especially since David Irving came back. He is he's really talented. Because now what they have is he became the three technique, yeah. and Malik Collins, who's very has explosive elements as well. You liked him in Nebraska. You liked him more than I. Did. Yeah, I really did. Yeah, you liked him more. I'm than not I, surprised I that he's him. a starting you know NFL yeah, defensive I, lineman. I missed on him, um, and he's now the one technique, yep. and so they have two pretty explosive guys inside. And the reality is, Demarcus Lawrence right now is probably the best pure edge rusher this season. You know, again, he's in yeah. a contract year. We'll see. But right now he's playing at a really high level. They're in the top five in sacks. The majority of their sacks have come out of four-man rushes, yep. but they do just enough with blitz, with blitz stunts, like a lot of stunts yeah. that it can it can be troublesome if you're not prepared. Yeah, I watched all of Lawrence's sacks this morning, Monday morning, just to just kind of buzz through. He wins in a lot of different ways. He sure does. Speed rush, bull rush. He goes. He'll go push pull. He'll win with the chop outside. Yeah, yeah. He wins an inside move. He's got a spin move. I mean, he's 
He's got a lot of tools in the toolbox. He sure does. Uh, and, you know, and you mentioned all, all the, the stunts and twists they do up front. They're missing Charles Tapper. Charles Tapper flashed before he got hurt. But you know, you still have, like I said, David Irving is a physical he's, marvel. He really is. I know it's he's not all there yet in terms of mental. And it's a matter of stringing, you know, day after day, play after play together. But that kid is really, really physically talented. Uh, and Collins, you know, very quick off the ball, good wins player. Number of ways as well. Uh, linebacker level. It doesn't Sean look like Lee Sean will not Lee. go. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Sean Lee's going to play. That's a problem. That's a huge loss. That's a huge loss. Because uh, J- Jalen Smith, it's it's man. It's Jalen Smith is not seeing it yet. He's not seeing it yet. Definitely he's not. And you know, physically, he's coming off the the, the injury and, and everything. I don't know that he's physically there, but mentally, like you said, he's not playing fast, and no, so therefore, no. the physical limitations are then magnified. And then sometimes he plays fast, but he hits the wrong gap. Yeah, right. No, I mean yeah. he's not. He, he's a couple just, big runs for Atlanta this week. Yeah, were kind of on him. He's just not seeing it yet. And then you own the secondary. Uh, good amount of sub package. They play, play a good amount of dime. Nickel and dime. Nickel. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, a lot of different groupings there. They've got a lot of young players, players yep. that you and I both like coming out of college. Uh, Xavier Woods in the secondary. So we'll talk about him a little bit later in the show. But like uh, him a lot. Like him. A lot. He's he's playing a lot more. Uh, and was, like, did you notice he played a couple snaps this week at slot corner when yeah. they when they were uh, who went out? I forget. But uh, Skandrick went out for a number of plays, yeah. and Woods came. Woods played, which he played at Louisiana Tech, by the way. Yep. And I remember last year he had a great interception. As a slot corner versus Arkansas earlier in the season. Yeah, and they they've got some injury. Jeff Heath looks like he well he left the game. We'll see right. if he's able to come back. He could end up being a starter uh, next week in that right. game. Uh, so it'll be very interesting. And if Heath can't go, they'll still play dime because they'll bring in uh, Frazier, Kevon yep. Frazier. Yep, no question. And you've got Jordan Lewis, the young corner from yep. Michigan, who's a rookie. Who's played well this year. Yeah. What are your overall thoughts on him? Because we're not going to – like I said, we're going to talk about Xavier Woods later in the show. Uh, give us a quick breakdown of what you see. He kind of, in an odd way, reminds me of Brent Grimes. Interesting. A little okay. shorter, but that's feisty that. and right. competitive. Um I thought he'd have to be a slot corner. Maybe that's his ultimate role in the NFL, but he's held up well on the outside, Fran. I think he's done a good job. I really like his competitiveness. Byron Jones, real quick, a very, very good player. And when they play man, which, by the way, for those who just think they're his own team, they're not. On third down, they're high percentage man-to-man with three different kinds of man coverage. And almost always, almost always, unless he blitzes, Byron Jones is the tight end matchup. So Byron Jones will be matched on Zach Ertz. There's your matchup. Uh, all right, so let's get to some questions. Oh, boy. Here I know we you're go. really excited about this. I so am. I am. Some of these, uh, look, and I, I love you guys because I put this out and I got some really good questions back. Some are very short term. Some are long term, uh, big picture. Some are very hypothetical. So just give your best answer because, you know, I, I know sometimes you can get a question. It's like, I, I don't even know how to answer this. But we'll just, we'll just kind of run down. Um, first question, I tried to go in somewhat of an order here. So, at uh, Apotamus on Twitter, Coach Peterson talks about self-scouting. Have you seen scenarios on the <sighs> offensive side of the ball where the Eagles are somewhat predictable? I know last year you and I t- talked a lot about the Eagles' defense and how in certain personnel groupings on certain down and distance – you could really say, you know what, this is probably going to be a cover two down, or this was probably going to be a cover three down. Has there been anything when you've watched this Eagles offense, or do you think the staff has done a pretty good job of mixing things up? I think predictable is a term you have to define, and I'll tell you why. And it's not a cop-out answer, but I, I, we want to talk football here, sure. okay? Yep. We don't want to be cliched. Every team has foundational things they do out of specific packages, okay? That's, it, that's what tendencies are. It's what we talked about last week. Every team yep. has tendencies. Now— I think what he means by that is 
are they overly predictable? In other words, do defenses know what they're doing? Yep. I would say no, they don't. I would say this year they've expanded much of what they've done personnel-wise, formationally, and they're not predictable in the sense that I think that uh, that person means. There was the game. It was the San Francisco game in a couple, a couple weeks ago. Now we, we remember the, this mesh, mesh, mesh concept, okay, with the three routes right over the ball, the two shallow crosses, and the, and the little stop route right over the ball, has been a staple of this Eagles offense now since the start of Chip Kelly, right? So Absolutely. since 2013. By the way, every, almost every team in the Everybody league runs, runs it. That. But yeah. we, we've run it a lot over the last few years. And I remember, you know, you get to 2013, we were outstanding with that route. We, we, it, it seemed like every time either Nick Foles or Michael Vick dropped back to pass, it was a completion and a first right, down. Right, right. Then he got to 2014, started, it was a little hit or miss. And then he got to 2015, and if we ran it, it was getting stopped because the right. defense read it. And it was, but now you get to this year, and you see how this team is able to vary everything that they're able to do. And I think back to the San Francisco game, it was a third down play. And they did a late pre-snap motion. It was a 13 personnel set. And we real quick changed the formation right before the snap of the ball. They ran a little mesh concept. No one covered Trey Burton. It was an easy first down for Carson Wentz right over the ball past the sticks. And those are the kind of things that keep you from being predictable. Because you have your staples, but you're able to hide them in terms of the things that you do from pre-snap motion to formation variation. Everything that you do to move pieces around. And I also think the the other thing that makes them less predictable is just the maturation of Carson Wentz. Because I think he does more at the line of scrimmage now. So if he sees a look that he believes will take away what... Obviously, he needs to be given more than one play call because he's not just calling brand new plays. But if he sees something that he thinks will take away the main play call, he'll kill it. You hear him yell, kill, 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 an awful lot. And then he goes to something else. Next question, Greg. And this is a good one. Uh, at uh, why Parmar 9 on Twitter. I'll be the judge of whether yeah. it's a good one. <laughs> well, this goes off of uh, uh, your friend John, Ron Jaworski, former Eagles quarterback. <clears throat> right. uh, puts out great numbers on a weekly basis on Twitter. And one of the things he put out was how Carson Wentz is one of the most blitz quarterbacks yeah, in the he is. NFL. So the question from Yash Parmar is, how important is it for the Eagles' offense to continue to develop their screen game considering how much that they get blitzed? Well, now you get into, again, film study before the week because what you'd like to have a good feel for, which teams do, is when you're going to get blitzed because the defense has tendencies too. So I think very often you'll see whether it's a draw, whether it's a screen, if you see one of those two plays against a blitz, more than likely it's because they anticipated the blitz based on film study and tendency. So I think the Eagles have a a pretty multiple screen game, and I think they – I think you can use it proactively where you just want to call a screen because it's part of what you do, and then there are other times where you use it to beat a blitz tendency by the defense. Uh, With Sean Lee out, I like the screen game this week. Yeah, I do too. He's 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 so good against yeah, the screen. Yeah, yeah, but I think with these with the guys yeah. in there, I, I, I no, like the I think they'll run some screens this yeah, week. I, I think so too. Uh, next question. I love this one because I know your reactions to this one. At Bo Burleson says, "How would you react to? Or I'm sorry. How would you describe the Eagles' passing game? Good." <laughs> <laughs> so if you had to, if you had to just talk about it, you watch obviously watch all thirty two right, right, right. In the league. You watch this passing game. Just overall thoughts on compared to all the other teams around the league. 
I would say it's very, very concept-based as opposed to individual isolation route-based. That would be my starting premise with what the Eagles' pass game is. Um, Obviously, every team has isolation routes where they expect a receiver to win on the outside, whether it's versus man or zone, because outside the numbers, every coverage essentially becomes man. But I think that this is a, a pass game that relies more on route concepts, route combinations, two-man, three-man concepts to break down defenses as opposed to just counting on individual receivers to win one-on-one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Pretty, uh, that was pretty good. That was a good question. And a good, good answer. An, that was a pretty good answer. <laughs> uh, next question. This is a good one. Uh, to me, I think this is a good topic to talk about, especially coming off the bye week. This is from at McGill underscore S. Can you identify any obvious changes in the play calling on offense after the loss to Kansas City? I've read that plays called in that game were a direct result of what the Chiefs were doing on defense, but it seems like the team doubled down on their commitment to the run game after that loss. So this, uh, the reason why I thought this was a good one to include was just because after the bye week, I think team coaches right. they're always going to look back and see sure. what they do. From that game on, you know, we remember that was the game Legarrette Blunt didn't get it carried. Right, that was the big story in the loss, uh, their only loss of the year. Did you notice anything, or was it more? Was that more just kind of a flow of the game kind of thing in your mind? Kind of like what we just talked about with Dallas last week against Atlanta. Yeah, um, you know, I think that. The Eagles want to run the ball, but I don't think that they're a run-first team in a strict sense. And I think they're a team that when they do run it, they want to be productive and they want to be very multiple with run game, uh, with the run game concepts. Um, but I don't. I, I think ultimately they have the right approach to offense in that they want to be able to run or pass depending on the, the specific opponent and the way a given game plays out. My sense is they don't go into a game with the idea that we have to run it X number of times in order to be successful. Mm. I think they go into a game with the idea that we want balance on our offense, but the game will dictate what that means. Some weeks, 65-35 could be balanced. Some weeks, 50-50 could be balanced. I think that becomes specific to the opponent. This is a great transition to our next question from at WCEagle77. What do you think the running back rotation is going to look like down the stretch here? Carries for Ajayi, Blunt, and Clement, if you had to try and guess. Maybe it'd be like percentage-wise. Right, right. I would say Ajayi will end up being the main back, not the feature back, because I don't think right. that's the way they're going to play. I think Blunt will— And feature back, meaning Ezekiel Elliott, the no, offense right. runs through him. No, more no. More of a primary ball carrier. No. Chase, right, yep. right. I think Blunt would, would probably be second— and I think Clement would be sort of situation-specific. Yep, I agree. I 100% agree. All right, let's get to the next one. At Sleeper SS, this is Scott. What can the Eagles do to exploit Sean Lee being out of the lineup next week if he doesn't play? And, again, we touched on that. doesn't look like he's going to play. Uh, overall thoughts, and if you had to put your coaching hat on, you're looking across the line, you see yep. uh, Anthony Hitchens, you see Jalen Smith, you see Damian Wilson. Those seem to be the linebackers for them in their base Defense with Sean Lee out. Overall thoughts on what you and then do. it was Smith and Hitchens in yep, their nickel. nickel, and then it was um, I believe Hitchens was there. It was their dime. Yep. Um, personally, I would look for a lot of misdirection. Yes, uh, because I think Lee's phenomenal at recognizing and reacting to those things. He's gone. Yep. So I would I would do a lot of things that cause 
initial conflict in a read and in a reaction. I like the boot action stuff with the the crossers coming from opposite side. To me, like I watch Jalen Smith, I see a guy that's reacting to everything that's in front of him. Yes. Any any eye candy in front of him, he's good. Without yet the the play recognition and feel to do it correctly. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, Let's go to the next one. Uh, This is from Daniel Richwine, at Daniel Richwine on Twitter. Why hasn't the team missed Jason Peters more? And I think he means that in the nicest way possible. Well, I think because uh, the nature of the, of their pass offense, I think it's not a deep drop pass offense unless they go shot play. And, and shot play almost always means that you're protecting with six and seven. So you're protecting with more bodies. The nature of this pass game tends to be very rhythmic, quick game based, meaning three-step drop, five, quick five-step drop where the ball comes out yep. and where you can live, even if your left tackle, Big V, struggles with a block or two here and there, which he does, by the way, it's compensated for because of the nature of the pass game. The ball is out. Yeah, and we talked last week about how they did such a great job against Denver with just some of the small tactics that you right. can do against a good pass rush, whether you're doing the, the zone read stuff, whether you're moving the pocket or the quick game. You're doing those things to try and negate that pass rush. Correct. You're exactly right. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Craig Scott, at Birds Blitz on Twitter. What is different versus last year that is helping us get consistent pressure that I felt was lacking last season? And I, it's actually it's a great question that I just wrote a piece on for Philadelphia. Well, I think there's a number of reasons. So I'll let you answer this one. I think there's a number of reasons. Number one, I think that Vinnie Curry – let's start individually. Sure. There, there's two parts to this. Yep. Individually, Vinnie Curry has been a much better pass rusher this year in one-on-one situations. Yeah, much huge. better. Um, I think Fletcher Cox has raised his game significantly from a year ago uh, to the point where he's arguably the best defensive tackle in the league. I think that now we get into tactics. I think the fronts that the Eagles have shown have made it more difficult to, to take care of individual rushers. I think that that's been one of has probably been the biggest factor to take this defense from good yeah. to great. And and when I say fronts, that has there's many elements to that. Probably too many to enumerate right now. Um, quickly, two of those would be the way they line up with Graham and Cox at D tackle. Yeah. I think that that in and of itself causes issues. It makes it more difficult to slide protect because let's say you. You slide to Graham because you have Graham and another D end on that side. Now you have Cox likely with a one-on-one. If you slide to Cox, you're going to have Graham one on It just makes it more difficult. And the other thing which you and I have talked about numerous times is what is called the diamond front, which is five across, which almost always dictates one-on-one matchups. And for Cox, when he lines up over a center, which is normally what he does in the diamond front, that's a mismatch with every center in the league. Yeah, and just it, him one-on-one, it's just that's a tough task for anybody. And, and like I said, I, I just wrote a piece on that uh, that by the time you listen to this, I think will be up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. If not, uh, first thing on Tuesday morning. So uh, next question. Palmer Carpenter, how can the Eagles exploit the Cowboys O-line, Greg? Exploit is a strong <coughs> word. I guess you're it obviously is. you're very reactive after yeah. what, what we saw on Sunday. I, I mean, let, let's let's – Except the fact that, for the most part, this is a really good O-line that had a bad game I, against I would say that Sunday was the outlier. Yes, yes. I would agree. so let's – so how can you exploit it? 
Um, I think a couple of things. I think there's, I think the right side of the line with Collins and, uh, wait, Martin's the right guard? Martin is the right guard, right. correct. So that's a big matchup in this game is right. Martin and Cox. Yep. Right. I think that the right tackle Collins and the left guard Cooper, I think stunts would be effective against with both those guys. The Eagles haven't stunted as much this year as they have in the past, but I think that's one way that you can cause some issues uh, with Collins and Cooper. Um, exploit's a strong word because it strong it, word. It's, it, it's a really good O-line Frederick had a bad game this week, the offensive center, Travis Frederick, but he's normally a very, very good player, and he's normally a smart player, as is Martin uh, at right guard. And much of this conversation, we don't know the answer as we're speaking Monday night, is 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 Tyron Smith going to be a no left question. tackle? That changes everything. Because to me, and maybe this is sacrilegious uh, given where we're having this conversation, but I think Smith is the best Left tackle in the NFL. I, so right now, I would, I would just, I would not disagree with you. I think Tyron Smith is yeah. is outstanding. Um, real quickly, Lyle Collins. One of the things I noticed about him, and this, he's making his transition from left right. guard to right tackle. He missed a lot of last year with an injury. <laughs> it seemed to me, I don't know if this is something you noticed, when he's got somebody on his inside shoulder, and he's but he's pass setting to someone on the outside. It's almost like he's still in that guard mindset where he's trying to protect he's his inside late. shoulder, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. a little bit late yeah, coming yeah. off. So, having said that, there's ways with your front you can theoretically take advantage yeah. of that. I'll be interested and, to see yeah, if they do that. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a really good point. All right, let, next question. This is a, a newsworthy question. At Beatrice, what do you see Donnell Ellerby doing for this team moving forward? The Eagles just signed uh, Donnell Ellerby, uh, the veteran linebacker. Uh, this just uh, actually on Monday morning, uh, they released the cornerback Dexter McDougal. Thoughts on well, Donnell Irby, what you've seen from him on tape? It, it, over the last it, well, weeks. it's interesting you asked me that because I actually spoke with a, a scout this week who advanced the Eagles for an upcoming game. And one of the first things he said to me, and, and this is a scout, so I'm just telling you what you, this, you know, he does this for a living, okay? Yep. He said to me, boy, I really like their defense, but they can't play with that middle linebacker. And that's Walker. So this is a scout who just literally went over every single play and wrote up every player over the last four or five weeks. So the Eagles probably know that too. Yeah, and interesting. So I think that that move was made because they probably feel, think of it this way, they're going to play the Cowboys, okay? They line up a lot in base personnel. Who do they play the next week? Yeah, the Chicago Bears. Who line up in base personnel and run the ball out of base personnel more than any team in the NFL. There you go. So the Eagles know that they're going to be playing in their base 4-3 a lot in the next two weeks. Okay? So I think they made a conscious decision that given the number of snaps that they'll be in base, that they probably are not real comfortable putting Walker out there. And you've got Ronald Darby coming back. So right. Now the cornerback position gets right. a little bit heavy. So, I mean, again— I can't sit here and say because Ellerby hasn't played this year. Um, sure. But he's an active, aggressive type player. Um, I always thought he was a pretty good player. Uh, you know, and he can play both. In this defense, he might play the middle, but he's played both middle. Let's put it this way. He's played stacked. And, and then stacked just becomes a function of what you're specifically asked to do within the, the context of that specific defense. But he's been a stacked linebacker in his NFL career. 
Staying at linebacker, Neil Dutton at N Dutton thirteen, friend of the program. Oh, yeah, Neil from England, great guy. Yep. Yeah, one of the greats. Uh, is Michael Kendricks being used differently this season, or is he just playing better when he's out there on the field? I don't think he's being used differently. Uh, maybe he's blitzed a few more times. Maybe a little bit more because I yeah. think the Eagles have blitzed a little bit oh, more. Oh yes, yes. Um, but is he being used differently? No, he's just being used more because of injury. Yeah. I mean, obviously, sure. if Jordan Hicks was there, we probably wouldn't see Kendricks on the field as much. But now he's playing in the nickel because it's it's now Kendricks and Bradham. And I, but I think Kendricks has played well. I mean, I, I, I don't think he's a liability at all. In years past, everybody would speak of him as a liability. I don't think he's a liability at all. I would agree. At Damian Jalil, let's move to the secondary. Uh, asks, with this with the corners playing well and Darby coming back with Jordan Hicks out, do you see the Eagles playing more dime instead of nickel moving forward? What are the benefits to nickel versus dime in your mind? In the great <coughs> mind of Greg Cosell. Right, right. Um, in, the, in the jumbled mind of Greg Cosell yes. at the moment. Um, boy, that, that, that's a... F- that's a philosophy thing. Uh, that's a hard question to answer. I'm fascinated by what the answer will be. We don't know what the answer will be. I but don't what know. the yeah. answer will yeah. be, I'm fascinated to see. Um, you know, normally you play dime, to me, and, and maybe a defensive coach would sit here and have a totally different answer, which I'm sure he would, but I think if you play a lot of man, you, 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 you like to play dime. Like the Chiefs, they play a ton of dime, they play a ton of man. Yep. The Broncos play a ton of dime. Back to the they Saints. play a ton of yeah. Yep. You play a t- you know. I think if you play more zone, you probably don't feel you need to play as much dime because very often those players who would then become underneath defenders in zone are not players used to playing yeah. underneath coverage. Right, sure. Whereas linebackers are. Right. So uh, you know if the Eagles. The Eagles have have had games this year where the ratio of zone has been high, and then they've had a couple of games where they've played more man. Uh, So I I don't know. That could be a game. My sense is that'll be game-specific and opponent-specific. Interesting. That will be very interesting. Let's go to the next question. At Fly Eagles Fly 11, and it's Fly Eagles, not Fly Eagles. It's Fly Eagles. Eagles. Which, little-known fact, Greg, my screen name back when I had AOL Instant Messenger was Eagle fan 53 for Hugh Douglas. Little known fact. How hard is it for a cornerback to come in after missing 10 weeks? Should we expect a period of time here for him to get his sea legs under him still? How much of an upgrade is he, meaning Ronald Darby, over the current guys? So, real quickly, number one, he's been practicing with the Eagles for a few weeks now. Right. So, he's been, so I, I'm not too worried about the sea legs. And, I, and he even said today on Monday uh, that he was he didn't feel like it was going to be a Week 11 thing. But it was just you know there was that right. was the decision that was made. So I'm not necessarily worried about the sea legs. But let's just let me just give you that last part of that question. How much of an upgrade is Ronald Darby in a vacuum over the the corners that we see on this team? Guys that have played well. You know, we're talking. I, I think Jalen Mills. Well, Jalen Mills will start. stay at starter. So then you're talking in the base, Patrick Robinson. Yep, and and or Russell Douglas, depending on the game that we've played right. and seen over the last few weeks. Um, you know, Darby. That's a hard question for this reason. Patrick Robinson was once a number one pick and has really good corner traits to play on the outside. Now, prior to this season, and I think he's played well this year. Robinson has not been a consistent player. Hence the reason he's been with three or four teams prior to the Eagles. But if you just look at corner traits, 
length, movement. Patrick Robinson is, is pretty much checks the boxes. Darby is a more purely explosive mover than no Robinson. Question. You know, so that's you know, Darby is a burner. I think he ran a four two eight at the combine. Yeah. I mean he And you can just see it. And you can see it, oh, yeah. no question. Yep. Um so you're getting a more explosive athlete. Are you this week, week eleven against the Cowboys, getting a better player than Robinson? You may not be week eleven against the Cowboys, but ultimately they made that trade because they believe that Ronald Darby is a quality and potentially big-time starting corner. I I agree. And then this is an interesting question coming off of that. Like I said, this was a really smart question from at Eagles Troll. Aside from the chemistry component that some people bring up about Darby returning, so you know, taking Darby who hasn't played in nine weeks, plugging him in the lineup, okay, we get that, under, you know, the anxiety about that. Didn't Mills take over his spot at left corner? So with Mills returning to the right corner spot, should that dimension also be a cause for concern? Mills was doing well on the left side. Would we worry at all about putting him to the right side? The one thing I will say in talking with people, uh, not necessarily someone in the building, but right. just talking with people around the league and talking to people to follow the game, when you talk about left corner versus right corner, everybody says, oh, what's the difference? With right-handed quarterback, you know, predominantly right-handed quarterbacks, the ball is going to get to the right side, or to the defensive left side, a little bit quicker. It does. Whereas if they're for the right cornerback, so in this case where Jalen Mills is moving, where we've seen Patrick Robinson over the last few weeks, you're going to have a, a tick later to be able to react to a throw. So if you can get away with being a tick less athletic, a tick less dynamic. Uh, Mills can play right corner. Mills can yeah. play right corner, and you feel really good about that. Whereas you're Now, if you're going up against Tyree Kill at that, uh, lining up right. on the left side of the field, you still have to deal with that. But you're talking about those quick throws. A guy like Jalen Mills, in theory, fits on well, the right corner. Well, I spot. think when all is said and done, and again, it, it's because it's Darby's first game back in nine weeks. Everybody's a little worried. When all said and done, Darby will be the left corner and Mills yeah. will be the right I corner. Agree. Whether that happens this Sunday we don't know that. Do you think that they're going to travel uh, any of these corners? Because I, I lean no. But do you think they're going to travel any of these corners with a Des Bryant? No. Yeah, I would agree. Because uh, I personally think they're going to play more zone than man this Sunday. Interesting. All right, so then that's a good question now. So at Mark Barkley, can you try and put a rough percentage for each coverage the Eagles have run? And we'll, we don't necessarily need the rough percentages from you, but seems like we've run more cover three this year than last. Will Darby having better recovery speed allow them to play more man moving forward? Well, they have played more cover three. Yep. Cover three is interesting because, as you and I have discussed, you can play cover three, and the corner then who plays to the boundary, the short side of the field, he can lock man, and we call it cover three boundary lock. And it's still cover three. He just locks man. So you can play cover three, and that's, that's what it would still be. And if Darby's on the short side of the field, he can play man technique and lock man and be more comfortable. Next question. We have three more. Three more. Three more. Uh, this is a, this is a marathon. This I might fall asleep here. Yeah, this is, these are, I'm really right. happy with the questions we got. All right. The question is from at K Diddy on Twitter, and the question is, what is the status on Sidney Jones? Well, Greg and I don't know the status of Sidney Jones. We're obviously on a data. You know, we're, we're watching the same game. I'm not a doctor, are. and I don't play one on TV. Exactly. But – for a refresher, what can fans expect from Sidney Jones? What did you see? Because I know you loved him I, on film. I actually liked him more than Lattimore. Lattimore has been phenomenal yeah. in the world, and so, hey, who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong, but I loved Sidney Jones. Um, now, he's, he's incredibly athletic. He's an explosive kid. 
you know, to use all the terms we use when we talk about corners, he's got great transition skills, great change of direction. He can run. Um, you could argue he's a little light in terms of weight, and I think some might have questions about his ability to, you know, catch the ball and make interceptions. But I think when you just look at corner traits, I think he's he checks all the boxes. And I know everybody in the building is really excited just about where he is right. uh, off the field. Corey Unlin spoke last week about you know how he's in every meeting. He's asking questions. He's getting drilled on uh, in the meeting room about every rep and every coverage. So uh, he's caught up schematically. Right. So it'll be very interesting when he is physically ready. Uh, if they do, you know, if it happens this year, if it is until next year, whenever that is, it's going to be very interesting to see how he is gets gets mixed in here to this Eagles defense. Uh, I am Ray Steven on Twitter. We know how well our starters have played, but how surprised are you at the amount of depth we have and how they've played? Thoughts on on Joe Douglas and Howie Roseman in this regard? And I think that this was an interesting question based off what we saw from Dallas on Sunday where you know you lose a Tyron Smith, you know Ezekiel Elliott's out, Sean Lee goes out, and those they have, uh, clearly, like we talked about, had a lot of issues on Sunday. Whereas the Eagles... You lose Jason Peters, you lose Jordan, Jordan Hicks, Hicks, you lose Darren Sproles, you lose Ronald <laughs> yeah, Darby, yeah. you lose all these players from every level, and you find a way to keep winning games. Uh, overall thoughts just on the depth of this team you know, and what you've seen from them so far this year, has it surprised you? You have to say you're surprised, but I'm a big believer in coaching in, in this league, and I think that that speaks to coaching because I think when you can compensate for those kinds of losses and not have it impact you in a significant way, I mean, look at this. We all like Jordan Hicks. We think he's a really good player. Yep. But you couldn't make the argument that their defense is playing really good. For, not, it's not couldn't make the argument. They are playing really well. Yeah, without him in the lineup. <laughs> right, without him in the lineup. Yep. Um, you know, I guess we'll see over time about Peters, just because there will be some, some games where they play – you know, big-time pass rush, although we thought that against Denver and it didn't seem to be a factor at all. Right. Um, so I, I think that's coaching, and not just coaching in the sense of getting individual players ready to play, but coaching and how you then scheme to compensate and maybe camouflage what you might view as, as a little bit of a weakness. You know, one of the things I love about Doug is that he has done a great job of, if you're active on game day, you're going to see a few snaps. Right. If you're the sixth O lineman, you're going to get mixed in. Right. Isaac Samalo gets benched after right. the Kansas City game. Right. He's still seeing reps as a 6-0 lineman. You see Marcus Johnson in there getting reps. You see all these young guys that are on the bottom of the depth chart. He finds ways to get them on the field, to mix them in. We've seen Corey Clement. Not Now, I mean, now he's a kind of a fixture on the offense, but early in the year, you know, it's late in games. It's, two, it's four-minute drill against the Chargers. Corey Clement's out there. Right, like, right, well, why is right. the rookie out there? But you're preparing him for to the right. point where if he's needed, his number's ready to be called. He's ready to go. It's almost the, you know, the, the Bill Belichick theory. Everybody's got to be ready, and you've got to be prepared to do your job. Yeah, it's the, ne- the next man up mentality in this building I think is outstanding. Last question, and I love that I saved it for last because oh, I boy. can't. I wish I were, we were streaming this <laughs> so I could see your reaction. Birds fly high at P-Town B. Considering we have one of the oldest offensive linemen, uh, offensive line in the league, which I'm not a thousand percent sure is right, but we'll go with it for the purpose of the question. Do we go offensive line or linebacker in the first round of next year's draft? <laughs> <laughs> next year's draft seems like it's about light years away. You know what, though? I, I booked my hotel for the Senior Bowl a couple weeks ago, uh, and we, I know we did it for the, for the Combine as well. But for the first time, I'm hoping uh, – well, that I'm hoping for the first time, it's potential I might not have to go. Well, 
So we'll see. But let's let's answer the question. First of all, there's a bunch of things we don't know. We don't know. Oh, of course, we don't know if Alshon Jeffrey's going to be here. And I'm a big believer that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take an offensive lineman, but I'm a, I've always been a believer that if you have a young quarterback, you must surround him with weapons. You can't have a young quarterback and give him no weapons. Now, obviously, if your offensive line is porous, that defeats the purpose. So. I think they'll address the O-line, whether that happens in the first round. I mean, ideally, they're going to have – it'd be nice if they had the 32nd pick in the first round. Yeah. This, t- this team definitely has put a priority on uh, beefing up the trenches on both sides of the football. Uh, offensive line, defensive line, they've put resources into both. Uh, and I would expect that if they feel they have a need in offensive line, they'll probably pull the trigger in that situation. And one can make the argument that a mistake a lot of teams and organizations make is – is building up, let's say, on the perimeter, whether it's skill position uh, on offense or corners on defense, and ignoring the O-line and D-line, and I think sometimes that can get you into trouble. Yeah, it's, uh, well, and they, they re-signed Timmy Jernigan, so you don't have to worry about that being a whole uh, overall reaction on that news when you got that last Thursday. No, that was I was uh, happy to see that. He's had a terrific season. He's a young player. Yeah, no question. It was a great deal. You know, you, you exchange third-round picks, you get – a guy who's had an outstanding impact. Well, Greg, we put you through the uh, marathon here a little bit longer than we usually go, but uh, very, very grateful for you to drop by once again for Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Great stuff from Greg, and again, you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is just one way to support the show, but the other is to go onto Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating, even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to Griff's dad and to Serial Insomniac, who both went and gave us great shout-outs on iTunes telling everybody how much they love the show. So thanks to you and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep this show going. I told you that we would break down a defensive back that has turned into a big piece of that Dallas secondary. The subject this week in our scouting report, safety, Xavier Woods. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Xavier Woods was a day three pick. I want to say it was a sixth-round pick out for the Cowboys out of Louisiana Tech this year. 5'11", 197, slightly undersized. But I'll tell you what, watching this kid on film, he was my number six safety in this draft ahead of guys like Buda Baker, who was a second-round pick, Obi Melifanu, who was a second-round pick, Justin Evans, who I think was a second-round pick, Marcus May was a second-round pick. I had Xavier Woods ranked ahead of all those guys. And, you know, the reason why, you know, I go back and look at my notes, and there are a lot of positives. He was a four-year starter in that scheme down there for Louisiana Tech, lining up at both safety spots and base, depending on the opponent. And he spent a lot of time in the slot in their nickel sub-package, as Greg had mentioned earlier. Played one high, two high, and underneath zone, as well as in the slot and down in the box and man coverage. So he's used in a lot of different ways. He was undersized with a slight frame and short arms, but he was a smooth athlete. Moved really well, explosive enough to cover a lot of ground, while also displaying the quickness, the change of direction, and burst to close that you'd want from an NFL starter at the position. He looked really clean in his pedal, very light on his feet, looked the part moving in reverse. He's able to drive on throws in front of him with ease and displays quality reaction quickness in man coverage. Had a really good feel, I thought, playing in man. He does a good job reading route breaks 
and he did, and jumping on throws. Looks confident and comfortable playing near the line of scrimmage, working through traffic and finding his way to the football. And he does a really good job coming to balance and finishing one-on-one in the alley as a tackler. I thought he really consistently took good angles to the football. And overall, as a run defender, I thought he was really, really strong. Stayed in his gap, understood his role in the run fit as an alley player or as a force player off the edge. And like I said, a really good tackler. Technically sound. He was tough. Athletically, he could break down and consistently finish one-on-one. Very aggressive blitzer that hit his gap hard, but timed his rush very well as well to go along with that. Good blitzer from depth, from the slot. High motor kid that's always playing sideline to sideline. Played with a ton of energy, and you could see why he was one of the emotional leaders on that team from a negative standpoint. Wanted to see him get a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger. I think he has put on a couple pounds since entering the league, so that's been big for him. Doesn't always look as fast as his 40 times showed. Uh, struggled to recover vertically at times. I know he got beat for a couple big touchdowns. I remember actually against Taewon Taylor in their Western Kentucky game, so he can be attacked vertically down the field, uh, which you can expect from most safeties. Probably not a player you would want left on an island against an explosive wide receiver in the slot. And there were times where he got a little bit fooled by a quarterback's eyes when he was in zone coverage but other than that man I mean I thought this kid was the total package so I was a little bit heartbroken to see that he ended up in Dallas I thought he was an NFL starter and other than his lack of size and elite play speed didn't have many major flaws as a prospect whether it was as a box player or as a space player, I thought he translated really well to the NFL. High floor, do everything backup or even you know a ceiling as a quality NFL starter, fit best as a sub-package safety as a rookie and a starter in year two. We've got the part one down. He's a sub-package safety right now. He could start as a spot player uh, this week if Jeff Heath can't go. But uh, I think that Xavier Woods has the ability – Again, I really like Byron Jones, too, coming out of UConn a few years ago. So th- those two safeties there for Dallas, I think, could be a really good tandem for the for this uh, this defense for years to come that the Eagles will have to contend with in, a, in more ways than one. So uh, the Eagle, the Cowboys may have had a good one there, Xavier, Rose, or Xavier Woods. Keep an eye out for him in this game on Sunday night. All right, great, great stuff from Greg Cosell and everybody here out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or iHeartRadio or TuneIn or Spotify, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one more time, just take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there. We answered a lot of questions in this show, but if you ever leave one on our iTunes page, It'll get answered here as well, and that's any week. So don't wait for me to, to ask for them and solicit them on Twitter. You can just go and leave a question, and we'll answer it right here on the show. I'd love to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.